0: Welcome to Knit, Design, Edit, Sleep, Repeat with Lisa Conway and Denise Finley. Let's listen in and see what's happening, who's happening, and what's new in their world.
1: Welcome to Knit, Design, Edit, Sleep, Repeat. Today, we are speaking with Randy Finley. Yes, the name is familiar. It is Denise's husband. He is a former intellectual property attorney, and we are so happy to have him here today talking about pattern writing and intellectual property law. As it exists in the U.S., we would like to make note that if you are in a different country, your laws may be different. Hey, Randy. Hi, Denise. Hey, Lisa, I hear you've been <laughs> a little windy up there, Missy. Oh, yeah. Gusts to 128 miles per hour. Hurricane forest winds for over five days. Two days of peace and quiet. and Now we're back at it <sighs> between 25 and 45 mile per hour gusts. Oh, yeah,
2: we get those here a lot because, I mean, we're in Oregon, right? Yeah, we did not get
0: those at 125. No,
2: no, we don't get 125. We get the 25 to 45 ish. You know, sometimes 60, but those are just the gusts. That sustained is usually between 25 and 30. And we had that this week, but nothing
1: like you guys. No,
2: not at all. You can keep it up there, okay?
1: Yeah, we'll we'll keep it here in the valley. As a matter of fact, I even recently told my husband that I'm rethinking our plans for where to retire. (laughs) like not in the valley.
2: (laughs) Somewhere that doesn't get those kind of wins sounds like a good idea.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Anyway, Randy, would you please tell us how you got into intellectual property law and the story behind all of that?
0: Well, it's kind of a protracted story, but long story short, I, I was a police officer for a long time. And in order to get my policing skills on a little bit better level, I went to law school. I attended the University of West Los Angeles in Los Angeles. That made me a better cop. And a few years later, I had the opportunity to work with some people who needed intellectual property assistance. And oddly, because I'm also a composer and a writer, that's something that I had studied in law school. I wanted to understand how to protect my own creations. So for a couple of years, I assisted some folks in New York with intellectual property. I did that for about three years. Now I've been out of the business since 2003, basically. But I try to keep up with what's going on in order to keep Denise's property and my own property uh, protected. So I think most of the questions that you probably have today will probably be current. Um, I've done some recent reading to make sure that I'm still up on things that I was up on. I found a few surprises. Things have changed a little bit since 2003, but not much. So I think I should be able to help anybody that has any general questions out there now. That said, let me let me say this. If somebody is in the middle of a legal issue or they think they have a legal dispute coming up, all of the internet research and quick advice in the world won't supplant getting a good lawyer and figuring out what's going on. But I think for the most part, when we're talking about cottage industries and we're talking about uh, homemade products, I think it's pretty safe to say that there are some general guidelines and as long as you follow them, you should be fine.
1: That's great. Yeah, I really think that if you've got a big question, consulting your own personal lawyer is probably the best bet. Don't you agree?
0: Absolutely. And in preparation for this discussion, um, I did do quite a bit of research online to see what's being discussed out there, as far and particularly with knitters, crocheters, and pattern makers. Um, I found some of the websites really helpful, and I found a few of them completely off base. But again, that when you start delving into the specifics of say, how do you copyright a pattern as opposed to preparing a stitch for copyright, there are certain things that can legally be done and certain things that legally cannot be done. So it just depends on the question and it depends on the specificity of what the person needs.
1: Well, that actually leads me to my next question because one of the things I ran across recently was making sure on your pattern template that you update the year to 2022, since we have flipped over Is it required to have a date in that copyright statement on a pattern?
0: The original date of copyright is of ultimate importance. On all of my, like I said, I'm doing this for my own sake as well. On my music, things that I've written as far back as 1972 or 73, the original copyright date is on there. Now that begs the question: what is a copyright? From the moment you create something, whether it's a, a sewing pattern or you've come up with a brand new stitch that nobody's ever done before. You are allowed to copyright that. Now, it's copywritten under general law, under the premises of this is mine, from the moment that you create it, but it is not officially copywritten until you go to the U.S. Patents and Copyright Office and register that item. Doesn't mean it's not actionable if somebody else uses it, but if you create some brand new stitch that no one's ever done before, or you've you've written a brand new pattern that nobody's ever seen before and you copyright it just by saying copyright, blah, 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 2021, that's fine, but it's far less defensible in court than if you actually register the item through the Copyright and Patents Office.
1: Wow. So that's a much bigger process than most designers ever think to go through.
0: It really is. And normally what happens is because of the way copyright law used to work under the old Byrne Convention from, I think, 1972, as long as you had They used to do what were called mail copyrights. Mm -hmm. If you wrote a short story, for example, right, poor man's copyright. If you wrote a short story, Mm -hmm. you'd make a copy of it, put it in an envelope, seal that envelope and mail it to yourself. The date that the post office put on that letter was your official date of copyright because it's in a sealed envelope, right?
2: You never open
0: it. You never open it. You just keep it just in case anybody ever challenges your copyright. Well, that was great, and it worked well for a long time until the technology age hit us. Mm-hmm. And when that happened and people started saving things on their computers and computers can be hacked and people started trading things back and forth through email, it got very messy. So it's just much better. And it. I, I think the fee for a basic copyright has gone up substantially. My first copyrights were $10 or $12 back in the 70s. Now I think they're in the 70 to $75 range. Uh, but that's, that's a quick trip to the patent office website, website to see exactly what you need to do. But um, it's always better to err on the side of caution if you can afford it. And, if, you know, some of these folks out there that are creating these wonderful patterns probably can't, but if they do a, a, a quick statement on their pattern that says copyright date such and such by whoever or whatever their company name is, they're good to go.
1: Okay. And would it pay for designers that are relatively prolific, that do, you know, anywhere from 12 to 20 patterns a year, would it pay for them to create uh, a single document with all of those and have that copyrighted?
0: You can do that. And it's still copywritten. And if you, let's say you created a book of 50 patterns and you copyright that book, you're fine. Your, Your patterns are all copyrighted. They're protectable. Anything that's done against those is actionable in a court of law. However, it's better to do individual copyrights. That way there's absolutely no question that the item was was observed by the Trademark and Patent Office that it was copywritten under say Lisa's name or Denise's name, end of story. It's completely defensible that way.
1: Very interesting and way more than I knew. Denise, you're probably more familiar with this. Do you have any specific copyright questions?
2: No, because my attorneys, uh, you know, I sleep with <laughs> them. So,
0: <laughs>
2: <don't> yeah, <laughs> that, that does kind of help.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that covers it handy. My,
2: my, my only issue, um, I copyright all of my books that I write, but I have not taken them to the copyright office yet. And Randy can explain that why, you
0: know. Well, I mean, there's a couple of different reasons why, they, why, why she wouldn't. And there's a lot of reasons why creators of any kind, whether they're authors, musicians, uh, knit artists, If you have an idea that you're working on and you say to yourself, I've got this pattern and I want to copyright it. But two days later you realize, Oh, I missed this. I didn't do the tech editing on this correctly. And I missed something. If you copyright an item before it's actually a finished product, you're kind of messing yourself over because somebody can come along and say, I didn't copy that. I I did something different. And maybe they caught the mistake in the pattern. And now it's, it's open for anybody. It's, it's a really fine line to tread when you talk about intellectual property rights. We ran into an issue when I was working in New York with a spark plug and I copyrighted, I contacted the patent office and I said, I have a guy who's created a spark plug. And I said, are you kidding me? The spark plugs have been around since 1890. How can you copyright that? How can you patent it? Well, it has a different firing mechanism on it. So I sent them the schematics and about a week later I got my patent number back. It wasn't for me, it was for one of my clients, but, uh, it's a matter of how different the item is. Now, that begs another question. What creates originality? I don't think, unless unless I'm wildly mistaken, it's almost impossible to come up with a brand new stitch that nobody's ever done before. I mean, is that is that fairly accurate?
1: Pretty much. There are okay. different ways of doing stitches that are still coming about. Okay. We're going to be talking with a designer here soon that is writing a book that takes a stitch that's been around, I want to say around 20 years or so, and he's completely reworked how that stitch is accomplished, which actually affects how it looks in the finished product.
0: That is completely copyrightable because he's taken an original idea, tweaked it enough to make it something different, and now it creates a different outcome. Those kind of things are looked for heavily when you're looking at copyright and patents. If, if it's a completely new way to do something old, then it's completely copyrightable.
1: Okay, that's really interesting. I was under the impression that you could not copyright a stitch.
0: You can't. That's, and this is where I said we're treading a fine line. All of the literature, including a Supreme Court decision, I think from 1870, discusses the copyrightability of... In fact, let me find it. I've got the original notation for it. here. something. Once you create something that is radically new, whether it's based on something old or not, you have the right to, to copyright that. The Here's a direct quote from the patent office. In the United States, patterns are generally not eligible for copyright protection as copyright does not apply to the methods or, quote, procedures for doing, making, or building things, unquote. However, When you're talking specifically about an item within that definition. Let's say somebody comes up with a brand new rivet tomorrow that absolutely universally changes the fundamentals of making a building. That rivet is patentable. So if if the person you're going to interview has got this new stitch that is, even though it's based on something that's been around for 20 years, if it's been radically changed enough that there has to be a new way to work it, I think he'd have a pretty good possibility to get that one copywritten.
1: Interesting. Very interesting.
2: Lisa, there was a couple of, there's one thing I would like to bring up at this juncture. I had a friend way back a while ago who ran a yarn shop and she was adamant about if I wanted, you know how uh, shop owners have a Ravelry section and they can run off copies for, for guests, right? Well, um, if she found out that somebody was going to be running copies to take to a knit group or, you know, to give to their best friend or whatever, she wouldn't do it for them because she feels like everybody needs to buy a copy of that pattern for each person that they give it to. And I'd like Randy to address that.
0: Well, that is that's one of those myths that isn't truly a myth. Um, If you buy a pattern for something and you share it with someone, that's fine. And and I'm sorry, the people out there that say it's against the law are incorrect. What happens is if you share that pattern with someone and they make something for commercial use and they're selling these things based on that pattern, then that's actionable. So that's a whole different story. But if if Denise goes down tomorrow and buys a copy of a pattern, brings it home and she realizes, oh, Lisa would like a copy of this. And she runs off a copy on our copy machine and sends it to you via email. That's really not actionable.
1: Really? Yeah. So in other words, many of the designers will put a copyright statement that says that the pattern is for personal use only. But then they allow for the item to be made either for charity or for sale.
0: Once it's done for sale, then it's no longer personal use.
1: Because you're profiting from it.
0: If you, if you get a pattern, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead.
1: No, go ahead. Keep going. I'm going to pull a, a statement out of my drawer. Please, so hopefully yeah. it doesn't make too much noise. But I want to read it to you because I think it's it's a way we see copyright statements a lot. And I'd really kind of like to make sure that they're really covering themselves the way they should be.
0: Right. There are, let me find this. I pulled this up earlier because I thought it was very useful. Oh, there's a question on a, on a website, and this came off of uh, SoSoEasy.com, giving them proper credit for what they did. A question was posed, if you make something yourself from a commercially available sewing pattern, is it illegal to sell it, sell it because of copyright laws? Well, the answer that they gave from their legal department is this is not true. A sewing pattern itself may be subject to copyright laws, but that is the only pattern, but only that is the pattern illustrations diagram and written instructions. So, in essence, if you buy a pattern and you make something off of that pattern and you sell that item, technically, and and I'm prefacing in big exclamation points here or big quotation marks, technically you're fine because you're only using that pattern to create something. You have not reproduced that pattern itself. Do you see the difference of what I'm talking about?
1: I do. So let me read this to you and and see how you feel about this. Okay. 2021, all rights reserved. Please do not sell or distribute copies of my patterns without permission or claim them as your own. You may sell finished items, but I ask that you link back to my website and provide credit for the pattern.
0: And that's absolutely a perfect disclaimer because it says, I ask that you do that, not it is demanded that you do such and such. Now, most people, that, at least as far as I can tell from you guys in your community, are good enough to do that. You're going to link back and you're going to say, hey, I got this from Ravelry or I got this from NitPix or whatever the case might be. Some people won't be that noble. And that's when it becomes questionably actionable. If somebody does, if somebody goes out and buys a pattern and makes 10,000 things and, and sells them off of that pattern, yeah, I, if I were the pattern maker, I'd go after them legally. But if it's grandma who's made a couple of things for their grandkids and then they sell, you know, something at the church function, nobody's really going to care or they shouldn't. You know,
1: uh, I, I don't think any designer is really going to fight over one or two items.
0: We, well, we have to drag this with a big net. And the, and the reason I say that, I was reading an interesting case a couple of weeks ago. There's a restaurant somewhere here in Portland, and I kind of want to drive by there and see what this was all about. It was in one of my legal reviews. The restaurant uses the same font that Disney uses in all of its advertising. It's a, it's a copywritten font. So this restaurant, and I think it's a, well, actually I think it's a nail place. Now that I think about it, they've utilized that font as their, as their store sign. The mouse don't play. The mouse came after these people and said, no, you will not do that. So the attorney said, well, wait a minute, you know, can you really copyright a font? Well, yeah, you absolutely can. And there's, thousands and thousands of fonts out there that are copywritten, the vast majority of them are not protected in that somebody, somebody copyrighted it just for the fact that they covered it for themselves and said, this is mine, but they don't care if anybody uses it or not. But a designer might have a different story. If a designer creates a pattern that's specifically unique and that nobody else probably would have thought of and and the operative word there is probably then they're going to be fine. If they, if they want to go after somebody, they'll probably win that case. As long as they've put the disclaimer on their pattern that said, this is for personal use only no resale. Give me credit where it's due that kind of thing. Exactly what you just read.
1: Gotcha. This is really enlightening. And it's, <laughs> it's a lot of things that I realize I haven't put quite as enough thought into yet
0: Well, here's the problem with intellectual property. Like I said, I'm a composer. So I have written a piece. In fact, I just played a bit of it for Denise earlier. I started writing this four or five years ago. And I posted it on one of my composers' websites. And I said, hey, I'd like some feedback on this. And somebody else posted to me a piece and said, have you heard this piece? Well, the first 10 measures are almost identical to my piece. Almost identical. The word there is almost. I've never heard that piece before. I, I don't think I would have ever even remotely heard it because it's from a composer I don't listen to. So the fact that I accidentally aped somebody without knowing that I did it is not actionable. That's There's nothing they can do about that. However, in a knitting pattern or a sewing pattern or any kind of a technical drawing of any kind, if you can prove nobody else has done this in the past and all of a sudden, you know, three months after you published your pattern, somebody else is doing it, that's, quite, that's questionable and that's actionable, but it gets so deep. That rabbit hole is so deep once you start diving into it.
2: So Lisa, this begs the question, almost, remember what we, I don't know if you've always heard it, but I've always heard that as long as you change 25% of any established pattern, paid or free, that you then you can take it and use it as yours. Is this true, husband?
0: Yes and no. Um, Heavily to yes, because you've altered what was the original pattern. Let's say there's a car designer out there who took a look at the BMW from last year and said, man, that's a great idea. And they design a car that looks just about like a BMW, but it has different headlights and different taillights. And that, by the way, happens every day. Nothing they can do about it. Absolutely nothing they can do about it. Because cars have four wheels a body and doors, and there's not much you can do about that. The same thing happens in most intellectual property cases. You have to be able to prove that what you've created and what you've copyrighted was unique enough to set it apart from anything else ahead of it. So to Denise's point, you go out and you get yourself a Ravelry pattern and you say, hey, I really like this, but I don't like the chain stitch in and I wanna change something else here. And you come up with a different stitch. That's no longer their item. So you've changed it enough that now you can actually, as long as you create your own drawings and you create your own pattern, now you have something new that you can put out there.
1: Oh, I didn't know that. One. How about a pattern that let's say it's does not got a very good size range. And you want to make it for your bigger husband. <laughs> like De- Denise and I have talked about the fact that you know this is a common thing for her. You're a big guy, you're tall, you're, you've are you got broad shoulders. And most patterns are just now starting to catch up to that s- extended size range.
2: Right. That's an it's excellent a
0: question. Big and- deal
1: in the industry. But let's say you've got a pattern that's a couple years old, but it doesn't have a size range. You do mostly what the pattern has, but maybe you change a stitch here or there and you create a whole new size range out of it is that unique
0: enough again yes and no once you've started to alter the pattern if if you have to alter it enough well wait a minute let me back up a minute if altering the pattern just to create size means only that you add more stitches or you add a few more rows no that that's not unique that's just adding things to the pattern that already existed. However, if you have to change the structure, and I think probably for me, you probably have to change the structure quite substantially. (laughs) So once you actually start changing the structure of something, um, whether it's uh, how how broad the back of something is, or how broad the front is, or allowing for extra length in the torso.
2: Let me stop you. Basically the increases are in different places. You know, they're not, they're not anywhere near what the original pattern called for.
0: I think that would constitute an original pattern.
1: Okay, so the pattern that Denise talked to me about a couple months back where she used a different stitch pattern because it looked better on the bigger size, plus she altered the sizing, we need to get that in writing and we need to get it published for her.
0: Yeah, that that would be an original pattern. Oh, there you go.
1: See, Um, I wasn't sure at the time how much you needed to change,
0: Well, and so- you hit a couple of fundamental issues there. She changed the stitch pattern, which means it no longer follows the pattern itself. Changing the sizes and what what do you call it the um, when you change, I forgot what you I've heard you say this a million times and I can't think of the term right now. Anyway, once, once with you right now. No, no. <laughs> once you changed that much of the pattern, it's a different world. You you have a you have a copyrightable pattern on your hands there. And maybe you did base it on something else. And it's probably the correct thing to do that say, you know, copyright 2022, Denise Finley uh, with, uh, you know, acknowledgements to Lisa for her original pattern. Um, I don't think you'd have any issue with that at all.
2: I do that in my books. I uh, just, and I, I didn't realize I was covering myself legally, but in my acknowledgments, there's a couple of authors, I think. And I tell them that they've influenced my style so that they don't think that I'm trying to steal from them.
0: Yeah. And that's a good point. Back to your original thought about if you say you publish a book with 20 or 30 patterns in them and you know that a couple of them were influenced by, you know, Joe Blow. Sure. in the acknowledgments, you can say, you know, pattern number six, I want to thank so-and-so for their, for their input. Uh, I was influenced by their pattern design. I thought that was a great idea. However you want to word it. Acknowledgements are always acceptable and, and, they will create space for action, basically. So if you do say, hey, I, yeah, I looked at your pattern. I absolutely did. But I changed about 90% of it. You're fine. Wonderful. 25% rule, 25% rule, I think, applies mostly to tech, technological and architectural situations. Like if, if I want to build a house and I, I pull some Frank Lloyd Wright drawing and say, yep, I'm going to build that house. Well, if you build Frank Lloyd Wright's house, well, that's a Frank Lloyd Wright house. But if you look at that house and say, well, I'm going to change the rooms around and change where the outlets are and different flooring and different ceiling. And I'm going to get rid of this room. Yeah, that's a whole different world. So anytime you're looking at a a knitting pattern or a crochet pattern and you want to claim it as your own, make sure you've altered enough of it so that it really is your own. You can't just say, well, I dropped a a row of stitches and therefore it's mine. No, not going to happen. Right. It's all about changing the basic structure and the basic concept of the idea so that it's a new version of something that's already out there.
1: Yeah, because it is really hard to come up with an original style per se. There's only so many ways a sweater fits a body.
0: Right. And this is why a lot of this stuff is not copyrightable and not patentable. You can't, you know, you can't reinvent the wheel. And that's what happens a lot. And that I, but I do think that a lot of these myths about crochet, knit, and sewing design, uh, I think that's where those questions come from. Once upon a time, it was entirely possible to come up with a new stitch or a new method of, of knitting. But it's been a long time since we've actually come up with a new way to knit. We may change stitches and we may say, oh, I, I just discovered a new way to do this particular stitch and it works better. Great. It's not necessarily copyrightable. It could be, it just depends on how, how radical the new idea is.
1: Intriguing, very intriguing. I have this idea that got planted in my head earlier this week. And luckily it's based on a designer who loves it when people take his innovations and move forward and create new things out of them. And we've actually discussed it. And it's like, oh, I can't wait to see what you do with this, right? So it's nice to know where that line is, though, of what is new, what is unique, what is yours versus somebody else's property. And as designers, it's important that we really think about, is this an inspiration I have taken, or am I copying?
0: Exactly. And that's where the designer has to sort of, it has to be sort of the uh, honor system. You have to be able to know whether you're simply copying something with an occasional tweak, or if you've taken that wheel and decided, hey, I've got a whole different way to make this wheel. That's a different story. So if, if, and particularly if this person is telling you, hey, take this idea and run with it, great then do whatever you want to do, but be careful because if, like I said, if you only alter small portions of it, it's not going to be something that's unique enough to be copyrightable or patentable. However, if, if he gives you the idea for a, a shawl and you create a sweater out of it or a full length knitted coat, yeah, that's a whole different world. So then you're perfectly fine.
1: Right. The other side of that is, is how designers can and should protect themselves. And just learning that you need a date in there. I didn't do that with my pattern.
0: Very important. If it just says copyright Lisa, no, it's not enough. That's
2: why there's a date on all mine in my book. Too,
0: yeah. And, and your original question about, should the date be updated? Mm-hmm. A lot of my personal music has the, the original date of the composition. And then anytime I update something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I've got several pieces of mine, a couple of which have been performed, that have original dates, editing dates, and then final performance note dates. So that say, I well, in fact, I've got a piece on YouTube. It was written originally in 1974 as a piano score. I never orchestrated it; I didn't have time. A couple of years ago, I orchestrated it and recorded it. So I put a new date. The copyright's still there from 74, but it says copyright First Empire Music, 1974, 2021, 2022. So that there's no question about the fact that I've updated my own product there.
2: And that's why I'm often... my re-editing my books. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I just wrote the, the books which just went on in 2019. But I'm re-editing them and republishing them on Amazon. And so that's exactly what I've done. It's copyright, you know, 2019. And then underneath it, it'll have 2022.
1: Yeah, I was going to say in most books, you'll see as they've released new. Right copies of it you'll see a new copyright date and they're just se- separated by commas yep. so that's pretty much all you need to do when you've made an a major update or even a minor update to a pattern it would be wise to add that additional date to it every
0: I would even if you change one stitch or if you if you've described a color combination that you like and you change something about that add the date to it
2: Hey Lisa that gives me a question. What about errata?
0: Well, errata, that's actually a good point. I hadn't thought about that. If you create a pattern and someone tech edits it for you and they realize, Hey, you've got 15 mistakes in here, or they think there are 15 mistakes in there. If you think your pattern is good, the way it is, you can publish an errata sheet, errata, meaning that there are errors here or possible errors. That's fine. It, 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 keeps everybody protected in as much as if somebody makes it and says, well, this didn't turn out right. Well, you didn't follow the errata sheet. You didn't see that there were errors on there. Some people will say, well, why don't you just fix the errors in your next edition? And that's true too. You can do that. And that's probably the better way to go. But errata sheets and errata pages are very valuable.
1: So let's talk about Ravelry here for just a second, because one of the joys of a designer selling through Ravelry Is when you have a mistake and you realize, yes, this is truly a mistake, you will update the whole pattern. You won't just put an errata
0: sheet. You should. You actually should. You're updating the entire
1: pattern and it goes out to everybody that's previously purchased it. When you do that, you should probably update the copyright at that point as well, right?
0: every time who
1: knew what that if one, you are
0: always protected you can never overprotect yourself never if you have a if you've got a pattern and the first page is nothing but a list of dates from you know 2002 to to the current day that's fine you're protected hmm. the courts are going to look at that and wow this person really took the time to note every single change they made so that's very valuable
1: if you ha- publish a pattern today In January. And in June, there's a mistake found and you update it in June. It's still within the same year.
0: You're fine with that. You're absolutely fine with that. You don't have to update that. Okay. So it's only the year that's important. Right. The only time I would update with a specific date is if, and you're not going to have this issue, is if there were a health or a safety issue involved.
1: No. <laughs> yeah.
0: If there's a health and safety issue involved and you've created, you know, some new ladder that gets people to the top of the building faster, and you've suddenly realized that the uh, fourth rung doesn't work and people are dying, and you don't tell people that, well, yeah, that's going to be an actionable thing against you. But in the world of knitcraft and for pattern making, if you find a mistake, even, even 11 months after you've created it, it's still in the same calendar year, you're, you're fine. Don't worry about it. Okay. If you want to update it and say, hey, you know, the copyright is such and such a date errata discovered and corrected on such and such a date. Well, that's fine too. And you're just even more protected.
1: I think Ravelry actually has a spot on the pattern page that can say when the pattern was updated, but I could be wrong on that. Um, If they
0: don't, they probably should have. I mean, that'd be a really good idea.
1: And I don't know other pattern sales Avenues, how they handle that. I know um, Lovecrafts. It's very difficult to. You can update your pattern, and you can give them that updated pattern. They don't share that out with people who've already purchased it,
0: there, which is a challenge. That brings up an issue for me as a reenactor. I do I used to do military reenacting. There was a company that was selling uh, Napoleonic uniform patterns, and at first glance, they were fantastic. But when you tried to make them, they'd never been properly tech edited and they would not come together no matter what you did. They never updated. I mean, they, they did update their patterns eventually, but they never told anybody that. They finally got a tech editor and somebody who looked at this and said, oh, my God, you're not even cutting the fabric correctly. You know, It's extremely important to communicate it to keep people apprised because if somebody sees a pattern and they know it didn't work the first time, they're not going to come back to that person to buy a second time. But if they see a pattern that, okay, we discovered an error here, and hey, here's the fix. That means that you're ju- you're being judicious enough that you can fix the errors and you're telling people, hey, we screwed up, I fixed it. Here's the new one. I think people would rely on that substantially more. And it's odd because I've seen that happen in court a couple of times where uh, somebody would say, Well, Your Honor, you know, we updated every time we tried something new. We've updated our copyright, we updated the instructions for you know the, the, the machinery. We did all of this. And the prosecutors are still saying, "Well, you didn't, you didn't change it enough." And the judges normally go, "Well, I mean, how much more could they change it? They told you every single step of the way what they did." So yeah, you don't get to win this case because the defendant want, did everything right. So if you have a pattern that, that you've had, you know, four or five errors in, and you've corrected every single error, and now everybody is just jumping for joy over this particular sweater or this pair of socks or this beautiful knit dress, people are going to come to you in droves because they they realize that that is. That's honor. That's integrity. It's always better to admit the error than to just kind of fudge through it. Always.
1: Exactly. I feel like my house is about ready to blow down around me. And we had had a wonderful conversation here today. And I really hope everybody has learned a great deal from it. I know I have. I honestly have learned a ton just in this little tiny bit of time, this, this last 40 minutes.
0: Bear this in mind, too. The information that I'm giving you is general. Well, it's generally specific. I mean, we're talking specifically about patterns, about knit world, about crochet. There may People out there may be saying to themselves, well, wait a minute. You know, I've always understood that if you buy a pattern, you can't sell off of it. I would take a look at the instructions on the pattern. I would look to see what the disclaimers are. We've already discussed two different options today. You said you have a designer who says, hey, take my patterns and run with it. And then there are other people who say, Oh, no, no, you can't, you can't even buy my you can't even buy two copies of my pattern. You buy one, you use it for yourself, you get rid of it. Okay, well, somewhere in between that is reality. And when people have questions about it, and I'm sure they will when they see this, they're gonna go, oh, well, that's not what I understood. You know, that this guy didn't go to Harvard, you know, he went to some little law school in LA. The information is still gonna be the same. And if they have questions, they can channel them through you or Denise. And if I don't have the right answer for it, I certainly have all kinds of resources where I can go to. I still have some folks in New York that I know and I can say, hey, here's the question. What's the right answer for today's current model?
1: Well, Randy, thank you for being such so willing to be a resource for us here at Knit Design, Edit, Sleep, Repeat because I'm hoping our listeners have questions and I'm hoping that they can will be willing to contact us either at our Ravelry group or our Facebook group under knit design, edit, sleep, repeat, just come and join us, ask your questions, we'll pass them on, or you can email us at knitdesignedit@gmail.com. gmail.com. Please let us know what your thoughts are, what your questions are, and join us again next time when we look at the design process as experienced by Denise as she created two beautiful crochet wedding dresses. So, just to wrap up, remember you can reach us through our Facebook or our Ravelry group at our email at knitdesignedit at gmail.com. And if you would like to learn more about tech editing or grading or other services that I provide, please visit my website at arcticedits.com.